This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, we said last week that we would only discuss the Easter games in depth if Albion pulled a miracle out of the bag. And any chances of said miracle well and truly evaporated after 17 minutes at the city ground on Monday night. So we're happy to declare this disaster of a season over. And rather than depress you with talk of what has happened, we want to look to the future. So today... Pete and I will address the manager situation. We will offer both pros and cons to Bruce Staying. We both will offer our pros and cons as we see it to Bruce Staying. We will give our verdict as to whether we want him to stay before then offering a list of alternative managers that we would shortlist if we were in Ron Gourlay's shoes. So to kick us off, Pete, why don't you make the case for Bruce Staying? What do you see as the positives to Bruce staying at this point in time? I think the Bournemouth result and the Fulham result stand out. Two wins against tough opponents and not just wins, but good performances, especially against Fulham. That was a a brilliant performance. Probably one of the best of the season, if not the best. Obviously, that's, that's been a limited number of games where we've performed that well, but those individual performances really stand out. And I just feel, to be fair, that was a, a decent performance. Um, so they're definitely positives, good performances against some of the top teams in the division. Obviously, his history of getting promotion from the championship, um, I think it's four times he's done it, twice with Blues and twice with Hull, if I'm correct. So obviously that experience and being able to get promoted is is a big deal when we're desperately looking to, to gain promotion next season. He's meant to be a very good man-manager. I think that's some of his better skills rather than his actual tactical input into the team I think he kind of relies on his coaches quite a bit for that but his man management is meant to be very good and he's meant to be able to get the best out of players which is probably why he's had such a a long and successful career in management and with the squad at the minute we've got a fair few players that aren't performing at the level that we've seen them perform at previous clubs like Grady Diangana for example and he was an, an expensive signing and he'll be earning decent wages so we need a manager that is going to be able to to get a tune out of these players and and kind of man manage them into some some better form and well even even grant's got eight less goals than he got the last time in this division hasn't he yeah exactly so grant dan garner um they're both big investments by the club and we're maybe not getting the return that we expected to see on them so if we can get a manager that can help us 
get that return on the players, then then that'll be very important. In terms of adding to that, I think the biggest word, the first word I wrote down on my pad when when sort of bullet pointing the the the, the pros list almost for Bruce staying, uh, the first word I wrote down was continuity. And I think I think I think that is the biggest argument that I I can see for Bruce staying is that do we need an yet another manager? I mean, we we're going through managers the way most people go through hot dinners. It's absolutely ridiculous. And how we ever expect to build anything at a football club without by constantly changing the manager? There there are very few managers who who can do it who can change the manager consistently and achieve success. There are a couple of examples that people like to point to. I know people like to mention, oh, Chelsea managed to uh, managed to have success. <laughs> All right, well, give us Chelsea's budget and we probably would as well. And, and the other one's Watford. And Watford are a bit of a funny one, but you've got to remember with Watford as well that the, the Pozzos own multiple football clubs and they happily move their assets around those football clubs. So... When Watford become their priority and when Watford get anywhere near the, the, the Premier League, they become the priority, then players come over from clubs like Udinese and the better players come into Watford. If you've got a pool of sort of three clubs, I think it was I think it's three, three or four clubs that the, the Pozzos own, certainly last time I looked, then if, if you've got what what would you say realistically speaking between three or uh, three or four clubs probably not far off a hundred premier league a uh, hundred professional players across those clubs if you basically took that hundred pool of hundred and put the the most of the best best 20 into one club you're going to have a relative amount of success we simply don't have that pool of players so again we're not really comparable to Watford in our model most other clubs that chop and change their manager consistently have very little success. So continuity was the biggest argument that I could see. I also think that obviously he has had a chance to have a look and assess this group of players, assess the club, assess the task at hand. He's he's not coming into it blinded to what the problems are. And let's be honest, as multiple people have said, there are a lot of problems at our football club. And whilst I think Bruce, to a certain extent, with some of the decisions he's made, is one of them. He is absolutely by no chance is he the biggest problem at our football club. And I don't, I don't think you'll find anybody who thinks that he is. I don't think Ishmael fully understood the size of the task at hand. I don't even think Allardyce did when he came in, to be honest. I think I think it shocked him at some of the stuff going, some of the, some of the way the dressing room was at some of the problems within, within the club. I think, I think he was highly surprised and that probably had something to do with why he chose not to take the job in the summer. So I think there's, I think there's a number of managers that have come in unaware of quite how bad things are at our football club. At least Bruce to, to an extent knows what he's letting himself in for. And I mean, the, the other thing is, and this goes for both him and Gourlay, by the way, they are saying a lot of the right things. They're saying a lot of the things that I would like to hear managers say, things that, like that players need to move closer to the football club. I thought that was I thought that was an important point. I think it's a tricky one. I mean, uh, when when I was at West Brom, I, I, I'm, I'm led to believe that that was actually a, a proviso in most of the contracts. I could be wrong on this one, so... Nobody hold me to this, but I think it was a proviso in most of the contracts that they had to live X amount of miles from the, the, the stadium. And 
most of the players, to my knowledge, just rented somewhere in in Birmingham that they 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 had their posts sent there, but they pretty much never went there. So it's it's a very difficult one to apply that one, but nonetheless, I think it sends out the right message that we don't want you scattered all over the country. We want you as a as a unit, as a group, showing some togetherness. I understand what he's trying to build you know, whether or not he can do it successfully and whether or not Gourlay can do some of the things that he spoke about successfully, saying it and doing it are two completely different things. But nonetheless, some of the noises coming out of Steve Bruce are promising. And then the last one, and I'd just like to invite your thoughts on uh, on, on this, Pete, because the last thing that I wrote down is that he could be our, our greater fool, which is, a, it's a financial term. It's the, it, it's the person who, in, uh, who when... Things are uh, uh, I, I'm not a great grasp on finance, but as I understand it, it's it's a person that when 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 there is financial difficulty has to buy big so that everybody else can profit. Basically, it's somebody that has to take the fall for everybody else to profit. And I do wonder a little bit whether we're in a situation at Albion where it's going to take 12, 18 months, whatever it is to sort everything out behind the scenes and that we almost need a greater fool to take the fall for us over the next 12 to 18 months and manage the club whilst we're still in a mess. And hopefully while Gourlay sorts everything out and gets a structure in place and almost do the hard yards a little bit like, for example, at Derby, how Nigel Clough did after the total mess of their Premier League season came in, managed the club on a real budget and uh, and brought in players from lower leagues and non-league and and things like that and the, and the and a club that previously had been going for promotions found itself finishing about 15th 16th in the league whilst they sorted themselves out and then Steve McLaren came in and then Derby started going for promotions again granted they didn't get they didn't achieve any of them but but they suddenly became a threat at the top end the top end of the league and I can't help but wonder whether we're going to find ourselves in a similar situation over the next over the next year where not only have we written this season off but I, I almost feel like we we could end up writing next season off whilst somebody steadies the ship and basically make sure we don't don't go down which sounds dramatic to say, but there's so many examples of clubs that whilst they've tried to sort themselves out, have gone down, whether that's your Sheffield Wednesdays, your Sunderlands, even your Wol- uh, even Wolves as, as an, another example of that. There's tons of examples of clubs that have dropped from the Championship to League One that should not be anywhere near League One. Tried almost to do change too much too soon and rather than do it gradually. And that Bruce could potentially be our little bit of stability through that period. What do you think? It sounds good, but I think the problem is when you consider that we don't have that sort of time, really, when you think about the parachute payments. We'll have next season the full parachute payments, and then it drops off in that third season and then finishes after that. So we don't really have 12 months or 18 months to be steadying the ship. If we want to get back into the Premier League in the next, say, five years, we need to gain promotion either next season or or the year after that, and preferably next season. So, I mean, I think I think we'd be better off gambling and, and pushing for it next season, to be honest, because otherwise we could find ourselves in the in the championship for quite a few seasons to come after that. And that leads me very nicely onto the case against Bruce. And obviously, this is almost like a a, a debate style uh, format where we're both going to give the positives and uh, and the negatives for for Bruce staying. Uh, it's not necessarily 
where where we see this you'll you'll find that you'll find out where we see it in the verdict at the end but i mean just to give the case against pete i mean the first the first thing to say is that the results aren't there that you mentioned before a few decent results and granted there were some there have been some decent results largely against fulham and bournemouth but the overall points tally wise it's dreadful it's truly truly dreadful the, the the points per game would have us in a relegation battle since bruce came in there's a, there's absolutely no doubting that and it's it's simply not acceptable i also worry whether fans are having him at this point and as we saw with ishmael there is a big big problem if the fans aren't on side with you We've seen it in the past as well. Uh, Alan Irvin didn't get a lot of time. I'm not necessarily saying he deserved more time, but I'm I'm just saying that when you lose the fans at a football club, it can be very, very difficult. And I do wonder whether the fans have looked at Bruce and after some of the decisions that he's made, particularly Monday night against Forrest, I thought some of his team selection was highly questionable and so did a lot of people. I think that there's people that, that are concerned about Bruce. And that leads me on to my next point, which is that I mentioned before in the positives about continuity and Bruce, Bruce is only continuity if he sees next season out. And at this moment in time, I can see if we do stick with him, I can see him being another mid-season sacking. And whilst changing a manager might be difficult this summer, what would be much, much worse is sticking with Bruce and then sacking him midway through the season. And I can honestly see that being the way this goes, because I think if we started next season poorly, I think he would be on borrowed time with the supporters at least. And once you're on borrowed time with the supporters, you're probably on borrowed time with the hierarchy because Ishmael got given a lengthy contract and he still didn't see the season. Bruce hasn't even Bruce wouldn't even cost as much to pay off as as uh, as Ishmael would. So there is no way you're telling me that the board, the the hierarchy would suddenly show some backbone and and back the manager all the way to the hill. I just don't see it. And the last point is is around building and going for, for, uh, forward. Steve Bruce's title at West Brom quite noticeably is manager, not head coach. And what Gourlay is talking about and has talked about seems to be a structure going back to when Jeremy Peace changed the person in charge of picking the football team's job title from manager to head coach. I, I think I'm correct in saying that Brian Robson was our last manager and Tony Mowbray was our first head coach. And, and the, the, that was a marked point in time because what they wanted to move away from was this all-encompassing manager who, who made an awful lot of the decisions, the more granular decisions at a football club, and pretty much had somebody who coached the players and picked the team. And that's what they wanted. So I don't know whether we can build the structure that we want with a manager in charge. And Steve Bruce is undoubtedly and has been throughout his career a manager rather than a head coach. So I worry about that. And I I realise that we haven't got that structure yet. But, for example, Manchester United are bringing in Ten Hag, who is a coach in in the sense that he has worked within the structure that they want to build. And I think they want to build, bring in Ten Hag to build the structure around him whilst he's, he, he's existing in place. Now, we aren't comparable to Manchester United, but 
the situation is a little bit comparable in the sense that we've got a rubbish football structure. They've got a rubbish football structure. So why not bring in the coach that you want to build the structure around rather than build a football structure whilst the bloke at the core of it will never, ever work within it? And then lastly, and I know I've witted on for a little bit here, Pete, but before I throw to you, the last point is this is our last summer if we don't get up with proper parachute payments before we have to really, really start pulling our belt in. This is the last time when we can probably have some financial muscle over the rest of the division. And my question to you, as I throw to you, would be, because I think the answer is no to this question, would you want to give that financial muscle to Steve Bruce? Because I don't think you would. No, I probably wouldn't. And I'd rather have it in a kind of system where it's not solely relying on a manager and goes to a director of football or a technical director or something like that, where the decision-making on spending that money is, is less centralised and more um, spread out. So there's the technical director the is the head coach, your manager, there's the head of recruitment, the rest of the scouting team, the any data recruitment team that's there, rather than just being solely given to, to one manager that is Steve Bruce. And you mentioned the negatives there. I think the biggest one is the performances that we have seen in general. And to go back to expected goals, which I always do, when you look at expected goals for under Ishmael, we averaged 1.71 per game. And since Bruce has come in, it's been 1.02. And expected goals against under Ishmael was 0.98. And since Bruce has come in, it's been 1.04. So we're creating a lot fewer chances and we're conceding a lot more. Well, not a lot more, but we're conceding more chances. So we've basically become poorer. We've become worse both ends of the pitch. And, well, it's not promising to take that into a full season, let alone just the back end of the season. So those performances are really worrying. Having a manager isn't how I'd like to see the, the football club run. I'd rather be a head coach and then the rest of the structure built around him. Um, so he's not such a key piece in the structure. And yeah, I, I question anyone to tell me what kind of football we've been trying to play consistently. Um, I think it's harder to see the, those patterns of play, the way that we want to build up. It's kind of switched between when we've had Andy Carroll on the pitch, it's been going long early to him and kind of playing off him and picking up the pieces, second balls from there. And it's, Obviously, we've not been doing that when he's not been on the pitch. So it's, I think there's a lack of consistency in the team selection and the tactics. And I don't really see what Steve Bruce wants to do. Or what he stands for. And that, I think because I think we've heard we've heard a lot from Steve Bruce. And as I said, he's talked a bit of a good game at times. But re- realistically, when when Val came in, he mapped out very, very clearly what we could expect to see from Valerian Ishmael's West Bromwich Albion. Has Steve Bruce ever told us what Steve Bruce's West Bromwich Albion looks like or should look like? No, he hasn't. And and we spoke a couple of weeks ago that there's quite a few similarities to Ishmael, but we're definitely pressing less and definitely creating less and conceding more chances. I think he wants to use, well, a lot of the time he's wanted to use the centre-backs to get forward to kind of overlap, attack down the channels. But I'm not sure if that's entirely by choice or just because we the lack of options we've got as a central creator we need to use the wing backs to create chances because we don't have that number 10 that's going to do it centrally so maybe it's because he's not got the squad that you want to use and maybe we'd see a bit more of a style of play if he had a, a transfer window or two to bring in players that he'd want then he might be able to implement 
implement a style that he wants to see a bit more. Yeah, but it doesn't stop him from telling us ideally what he would what he would like like to give us, almost like a party political broadcaster. We just we haven't had that from him, have we? No, we haven't. And yeah, like you say, we definitely got that from Ishmael. So, uh, well, yeah, there's a big difference there in communication. So, just to sum this section up, Pete, where, where do you, where do you stand, Bruce in or 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 Bruce out in the summer? Out for me. Um, yeah, I don't think the individual performances in two or three of the games have been enough to prove that he'll do it for for 46 games next year. And I'm not sure I trust him to lead what's probably our most important transfer window. Well, in the past five or six years, and yeah, I don't, I don't really see him being successful long term at the Albion. I'm going to second that Bruce out for me. I'm afraid I, 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 I agree with every point that Pete's made. I would also add to that to jump on. The, I thought that what you said there was probably the most most important thing as well, Pete. That there's no discernible style. There's no, and we've got to have a plan at this point in time. The problem for me, where we've gone massively wrong over the last few years is that we've gone from having Pulis to Pardew to Moore to Billich to Allardyce to Ishmael. And every time we change manager, we don't replace them with somebody who is in any way comparable in the style of play. And I, I, don't, I can't believe that we want to play Steve Bruce football long-term because if we did... There, there is going to be a revolt on on, on your hands. I, 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 Steve Bruce has had success in the past, but we know it's not brilliant to watch. We know how he gets success. It, it is fairly pragmatic at, at the best of times. It's not stunning to watch. Yes, generally it's successful, but the fans at this point need something that they can really subscribe to. So that it's not going to be that's not going to be our plan long term. Because if it if it is then I can tell you right now, fans are going to start voting with their feet. And then, and then people are going to have to have a rethink because we won't be successful. They won't, they won't have supporters. They won't be selling shirts. They won't be selling season tickets. They won't be selling individual match tickets if we don't start playing some good football. So it's not going to be successful long-term if we play that sort of football. So all we're going to do if we bring Bruce in is we're going to buy a bunch of players for him this summer with the last bit of money that we've got from the Premier League and then we'll either what I think we will probably do is we probably end up sacking Bruce mid-season which would be yet another disaster and then we bring somebody else in who's completely different so again we have to turn the squad over no we have got one chance and one chance only to get the squad to where we want it to be whilst we have Premier League level finances at our disposal and that has to happen this summer with a manager who at least in some way reflects the way we want to play long term now whether that is whether that is a bit of a, a sort of um a bridging from one style to another which we have which we have done before or whether that is a manager who is we are literally going to say we're going to rip it up and start again. A bit like, for example, Huddersfield did with Carlos Corbran and nearly went down the first season, but now could quite easily, will make the playoffs, but could quite possibly make automatic at this moment in time. So it's it's whether you just 
accept the fact that you are going to almost have a bad season whilst you try and sort this out or whether you have a bit of a bridging appointment. But either way, it just can't be Bruce for me. It can't be Bruce. So that leads us on quite nicely to if it's not going to be Bruce, who should it be? And Pete and I have both built up short lists. Pete's is shorter than mine because, well, I, you know, I, I like to talk a lot and I can't possibly ever whittle anything down to the agreed number. Even, even though when Pete and I spoke on WhatsApp, it was, it was three. Um, but I still managed to throw that out the window and stretch mine to five. So because it's simply purely because I've got more than Pete, I'll, I'll start just to let you know with this, we are going to go through these in our order of priority. So the first name we give you is going to be our first choice. We have not compared lists prior to coming onto this podcast. So it is entirely possible that I have someone on my list that Pete has on his and vice versa. So my thinking behind this beforehand was that I wanted to put this list together based upon what Ron Gourlay has said is the vision for the club. And as we said before, there is a difference between a manager and a head coach. So what I have picked here are all people who I believe could be head coaches. So there might, well, there is there is a notable omission from this uh, from this list that I know a lot of West Bromwich Albion fans would be happy with. And we will speak about that person later if he doesn't crop up on either of our lists. He is omitted on the basis that he is, in my eyes, he is a manager, not a head coach, and therefore does not represent what we want to do in the long term. And which is why I would not, uh, which is, although I would probably be quite happy if he was appointed, I I don't think if I was in Ron Gourlay's shoes, he would be the direction that that I would be going. So the first name on my list, and undoubtedly the person who would be my first choice, would be Neil Critchley of Blackpool, who I think is a tremendous young manager. He's only 43. He has had two seasons at Blackpool. In that time, he has won the playoffs and he is now going to finish mid-table with them in the championship. Obviously, on Bank Holiday Monday, I think they scored six past Birmingham City. Fantastic from them. We saw them at the Hawthorns on, on Good Friday and they were deeply unlucky to lose that game. I think he's built a fantastic team there and he's built it on next to no money. Not only has he done unbelievably to finish so far clear of relegation in the championship on a tiny budget, but he did unbelievably to get out of League One on what was a very, very small budget. Just to put that in perspective, before Critchley came in, in the previous five seasons in League One, they hadn't finished higher than 10th in that division, and they'd been in League Two in that period. So there was nothing to suggest that Blackpool could could get out of League One, let alone finish mid-table in the Championship. Critchley's done an incredible job. I'd also like to address a point that I know a lot of people will like, likely come back to me with when you say the name of manager at a smaller championship club they'll go oh well Ishmael did a good job at Barnsley doesn't mean he can handle handle West Brom there's a big difference as I as I've always said there's a big difference between good and bad managers and good and bad fits Ishmael was always a bad fit for West Brom it wasn't it his problem was not the fact that we are a bigger club than 
than Barnsley. He's gone into Besiktas. I mean, they are the the attention on them is is ferocious, and they're a club that is used to being in the Champions League. So obviously, people who hand out big jobs aren't afraid to give him give him big jobs. The problem with Ishmael was that he played a style of football that the fans were never going to accept and wasn't even remotely suited to the group of players that he inherited. And furthermore, he then wasn't given the money to get in the players. So he was just a bad, bad fit for that job. Whereas Critchley, although he would definitely need some backing in the summer because he plays good football, you look at the numbers uh, around them, given that we will finish somewhere similar to them in the table. They've scored more goals than us. They have more possession in games. They have more shots per game than us. And they have a better pass completion rate. They're, they are just visually, certainly, they are a better side than us. Neil Critchley's Blackpool are a much better side to watch than West Bromwich Albion have been all season. And I just think he would be a really good progressive appointment. I also think that there is an excellent recruitment team at Blackpool. And part of the reason for a lot of the names that I have picked is not just the manager that I would like to see come in, but also I would like to hopefully see them bring some of the backroom staff with them. Obviously, Blackpool have... Uh, an an ex-West Bromwich Albion employee, uh, uh, Jonathan Gibson there, who I thought was doing a superb job at at West Brom till Dowling decided to restructure the recruitment team and get rid of a lot of the guys who'd brought us an awful lot of success. I mean, I've got no idea whether whether any of these people would, would be happy to return to the football club, but certainly they were much, much better recruitment people than we have now. And the recruitment people... Jonathan included at Blackpool, you cannot deny are doing a phenomenal job on a tiny budget. And we might have a bit of money this summer, but we, if we're still in the championship next, next season, we are going to have to cut our cloth accordingly. And we're going to need people who know how to find players on a budget. So it's not just about Critchley for me, it's about the people around him. And could we, could we get some of those in as well? And also, I think that another thing that's massively important in the championship is is loans. And it's worth mentioning that Critchley, before he took the Blackpool job, was the Liverpool under-23s manager. And that's no bad thing. That's no bad thing to have those kind of contacts, to have Jurgen Klopp's ear, to know who the good young players are at Liverpool. So for me, Pete, Neil Critchley is my first choice. So can you give us your first choice, but can you also let us know whether whether Neil Critchley made any, your list anywhere? And if he did, have you got anything to add? So my list consisted of three main managers, head coaches, whatever, and two that I didn't really look into too much, but were both kind of part of my list. And one of those two was Neil, Neil Critchley. So he was on there. I kind of agree with with what you were saying, he kind of stood out last season in League One as a as a good manager and obviously won promotion and has kind of carried that on for this season. A very small budget and playing pretty pretty nice football, so he's a good option. I think also, just to add to that, Pete, I think it's important as we go through this that just because we've had a bad experience with a manager coming in from a smaller club, that we don't dismiss all managers who are managing at smaller clubs. Chris Wilder 
went to Sheffield United from from Oxford United. We brought Tony Mowbray in from Hibernian, who, let's be honest, you know, outside of the the two old firm clubs, it's not like anyone in the SPL uh, Scottish Premier League has has a great deal of money to spend or gets into Europe an awful lot. So the, there are there are plenty plenty of examples of managers who've come in and been successful from smaller clubs. Yes, we've had a bad experience and been burned a little bit. But as I said at the top, I don't think Ishmael's perceived failures at West Bromwich Albion were anything to do with where he had come from. I think they were to do with the fact that the fit between him and the club hadn't been thought out very well. Yeah, exactly. And when you consider how Bruce has done with this squad of players afterwards as well, Maybe it kind of takes that criticism away from Ishmael a little bit because even Bruce, who's managed at bigger clubs than, than Albion at the minute, has, has not been able to sort out and has made us worse. But yeah, I think there's no harm in looking at, at clubs that are smaller, if you like, or in lower leagues than, than Albion for managers because, I mean, otherwise, how would managers progress up the leagues and, and work their way to the top of the to the Premier League and, and top leagues like that if they can't move up to to bigger clubs. So going on from that, I think my my managers weren't in a particular order, but if I had to pick a first choice, I think I would go with probably Mark Robbins of Coventry, who similarly to Critchley's earned promotion from the from League One into the championship with Coventry. And I think he even started out in League Two with them. So he's taking them from League Two to what's going to be probably a mid table finish for them this season in the championship. So it's it's a sign of a manager that's worked on a long-term project and has been successful in that, which is, well, especially if we don't win promotion next season, is, is what we're going to need a long-term project to eventually build a, strong, uh, a squad strong enough to, to win promotion again without those parachute payments. Coventry have uh, completed the fifth highest number of passes in the league and they moved the ball around the third fastest, so that probably indicates an, a nicer style of football than, than what we've seen under Ishmael. Bit of a contrast to his direct style, but it doesn't seem as specialised as Ishmael either. So when we're looking to, if we did bring Robbins in, obviously we'd need to replace him at some point, whether that be after he was sacked or after he joined a, a different club. So having a style that's not as specialised is good because it's easier to, to pick your next manager. You've got a bigger pool of managers that can potentially come in that, that aren't a million miles away from the, the style of that previous manager. Whereas with Ishmael, it was very specialised. There was very few that kind of suited that style close enough to take over, um, take that squad kind of smoothly into the next the next era of manager. And then finally, when you look at the expected goals numbers, Coventry have been third highest this season for a team that's recently come up from League One is extremely impressive. So they, you know, they create lots of chances and... One of the criticisms that levelled against Ishmael was that we weren't very entertaining to watch. I mean, admittedly, we were one of the highest in creating chances, but Coventry create a lot of chances, so that's going to be fun to watch. And they're they're reasonably solid at the back as well, so it could be a good mixture if Robbins came over to a club that's got a bigger budget and a bit more freedom in the transfer market. I mean, I have to say, Robbins didn't make my list, but he was certainly one that when I was doing a bit of a long list, that he he was a name that I, I wrote down. I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not really sure why I dismissed him other than barring one name on my list. I've gone largely with quite young managers. I think I've, I've only got one manager on my list who uh, who's over 50. 
And I believe Mark Robbins is over 50. I know. And my apologies to Mark Robbins and his youth, if I am wrong on that, but he was certainly one I, I thought about. And I have to say the recruitment around Coventry was something that really, really drew me in, not just the actual players that they've brought in, but you do, you do always want to consider that because obviously Ishmael came in, he wanted to bring in a couple of guys from Barnsley, brought in Mowat. He wanted DK and didn't get him till the, till January. I think in the end, DK will turn out to be a very good signing for us. Mowat. Well, let's let's wait and see. On the basis of this season, no. But let, let's I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt if he's still here next season. If Robbins was to come in, if he was to go shopping back at Coventry, Callum O'Hare, Hamer, Jokeresh, I mean, these are cracking players, aren't they? You'd, you'd, you'd love to see any of them in, in an Albion shirt. But also, interestingly, on Robbins, he seems to always want a certain type of player because one of the things levelled at the current Albion squad is they don't care enough, that they, 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 they haven't got big enough hearts, that they're not mentally strong enough. Well, this Coventry side have that in abundance. Robin's Coventry side, really, they go to war for each other. Okay, they've only got a few in there who, in terms of technical ability, are really that special. I mean, you take somebody like Matty Godden, for example, who, by all rights probably shouldn't be a top half championship striker but it's his work rate his endeavor his desire to get in there and and score goals that makes him an asset and those are the types of players that that Robbins brings in and they're the type of players that I think Albion fans could could buy into so I I mean he although he didn't make my list Pete I completely understand where where you're coming from and I have to say if Mark Robbins was hired as West Bromwich Albion manager at the end of the season I would probably be absolutely delighted to be honest we'll move on to the next name on my list and I mentioned that all but one of the managers that are on my list are under 50 I'm going to put as my second choice the one that is over 50 and it is the manager that I probably think or head coach that I think would probably be the safest choice. The others that I've put in this list, I think would be progressive appointments, but I think would represent something of a gamble to a certain degree. I don't think this appointment would represent anything of a gamble and it's Tony Mowbray. I think that, first of all, he would be free, almost certainly. His contract is up at Blackburn at the end of the season. All the rumours seem to be that he doesn't have a terribly good relationship with the ownership there and that they're not going to keep him beyond the end of this season. So if he's free, that is a massive, massive plus because you don't have to go through the fight of getting him out of a job. It means he's more likely to take it because he does. he's not walking away from something. Um, you don't have to pay any compensation. That makes a huge difference. Obviously, he already has standing with the West Bromwich Albion fans. My one concern and the one, the, the, the only reason I wavered slightly about Tony Mowbray, putting Tony Mowbray on this list, is that I would be a little bit worried that West Bromwich Albion fans would be thinking that we would be getting 0708 Mowbray. Because we aren't. We would not. We would not be getting the same man. He is a much more pragmatic manager these days. He was... He was he very much stuck to his principles in those days. I'm always going to be completely open and honest on this podcast. If I'm talking about somebody that 
I know or I've worked with, I will say that. And I, I was at the club when Tony Mowbray was there. So I've seen Tony Mowbray work firsthand. And in those days, he... He, he was he was a huge admirer of Arsene Wenger. He wanted to play a, a pass and move kind of, kind of style. And it served him extremely well in the championship. And I think, I think he'd probably even admit at this point that he was a little bit naive going into the Premier League, that, thinking that he could do the same things and have success. I think he's been a bit more pragmatic all the way around since then. I think he probably got slightly burned by, by that and has realized that 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 maybe unless you have the kind of budget that Pep Guardiola's got at Manchester City that you maybe can't play that type of football instead at Blackburn as i say it's been a bit more a bit more pragmatic they generally have two pretty big guys up front in Brereton Diaz and Gallagher you know they've changed a little bit from last season when Armstrong was there and obviously he was little and quick and getting in behind but that's great it shows that Mowbray's found multiple ways to play and I think I think that's that's what makes him the safest choice on my list because I think he's I think he's an adaptable manager now I think he can play multiple styles I think he can adapt to a squad as well which is good because our squad's a bit of a mess at the moment to say the least and it needs some it needs some work and if you bring a manager in who is very idealistic I don't think that they will get much out of this squad for at least three windows, I would say, until they've had a chance to move some of these players on. And there aren't going to be many go this summer, in my opinion, because there's not many out of contract. There'll be quite a few more go next summer because there's quite a few more out of contract. But I think if you brought somebody in who couldn't get out of this squad what is in this squad and needed his own players, I think we would have a really bad season next season. Whereas I think Mowbray could work with what he's got until he gets his own players. He showed at Blackburn that he could be rock solid whilst building something over a period of time. Okay, they weren't overly spectacular, but they did, they've edged their way up the league. I think they had a bit of an iffy finish the last season, finished finished 15th, but they, they they came up, they finished 15th, then they finished 11th. 15th um, I think last season and now this season they might make the playoffs so there's progression there under Mowbray and and it shows that he he understands building something and I think he could be a good long-term manager for us and I don't I don't know this for any kind of a fact because other than texting him the day he went to went went to Celtic I, I I don't think I've actually actually spoken to Tony since since I worked with him but I, you can't help but feel like he probably feels he's got a bit of unfinished business at the baggies that he did such a great job and he obviously was even massively supported in a season where we got relegated and he had that chance to have another crack at it get us back up and then maybe give the Premier League a proper go and he couldn't resist Celtic so maybe he thinks this is the chance to do what he didn't do back then I just think there's a lot of positives to Tony Mowbray and not a lot of downsides Pete yeah I think he'd probably be steady would he would he want to come back I'm not sure because he left if he hasn't got a job (laughs) that's true but I mean if he's been keeping an eye on us he can probably tell how much of a mess we're in at the minute and 
Sorry, but yet just on that point, I, uh, sorry, the last thing that I've written down here as well is if you can have success under the Venkies, you can have success under anyone. So that's got to be a huge plus. I mean, I know it's a bit of frying pan to the fire, but uh, I mean, uh, I don't know whether we're, we're worse than the Venkies or not. It's probably a pretty close thing between the two. But I mean, I suppose from Marker's point of view, it can't be any worse, can it? Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think I think you'd be steady as I say. Um my only concern is probably something I saw on, on Twitter earlier about is just the data surrounding him and the fact that there's always in a, a lot of his recent seasons there's been a drop off towards the end of the season that we're seeing at the moment with with Blackburn. I couldn't tell you exactly what it is at the minute, but if you look at their recent results and they've been pretty poor and they're they're drifting away from the playoff places that they look to be in a good position for when around about the time that we played them and, and got that nil-nil draw. But yeah, I think he'd be steady. Could probably work well with work as well as anyone with the group of players that we've got at the minute. And yeah, knows knows the game. I'm sure he's got a lot of contacts. Knows the club the game. as well, knows the fans. Yeah, yeah, there's an aspect of that. I don't like linking people just because of that. I mean, we always get linked with Derek McInnes and Michael Appleton. I'm not sure how McInnes is doing up in Scotland, to be honest, if he's doing well playing good football and he's a good fit then by all means Lincoln but I don't like to see links just because they've been at the club before but with Mowbray he's obviously done a done a good job with Blackburn over the last few years so I think I'm more than happy to see him linked with the club even though he has been here before lovely stuff well uh, I'll throw I'll throw to you Pete and uh, the next on your list uh, I take it Mowbray didn't make yours no he didn't make mine I kind of had a, an idea that he'd be on yours I think he's on a lot of people at, at the minute so I thought I'd leave him out and I was kind of hoping you would say him. Then it kind of justified me not having him on my list as well. Um, yeah, I think I think you probably I think you probably could have guessed three of the names on 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 my list, given that they are people that I know quite a bit about um, from my time in football. So uh, I think you could probably guess a, a third one that uh, that might crop up in a little bit. I've got my ideas, but we'll, we'll see in a bit. On to my second one, and it's I think second I would put Nathan Jones at Luton. I think I've written here that. It obviously depends what league they're in. If they achieve promotion come the end of the season, then I'd say there's very little chance in us getting him. And there might be very little chance in us getting him anyway, considering he, he was at, at Luton and then left for left for Stoke and had a what's fair to say a very poor didn't at Stoke and then went back to Luton and basically said that he regretted leaving. Yeah, that he wish he wished he hadn't gone to Stoke and he'd stuck stuck with Luton. Um so it might be difficult to tempt him away from, from Luton again considering the kind of growth they've seen as a club over the last few years and the direction that we're heading in. Anyway, he took Luton from League 2 to the top of top 2 of League 1 before he left for Stoke in his first stint, so um, that's obvious progression there. And in that time, in his first summer window at Luton, he, he released 12 players and signed 8. I think that kind of shows that he's, he was happy to, to mix the squad around and, and he gained success from that as well, because... In the following season, they only spent one week outside of the, the top seven. So he made those changes and they were successful changes. Um, and they've been climbing up the leagues. He took them from League Two to League One. He got them in a very good position. I think it was in January when he left for Stoke and they were second in uh, League One. I think it might have been the season that they did get promoted, but I'm not sure on that one. But he joined them back when they were in the championship and, and they're having a terrific season this season in the playoff places at the minute. and looking very much, very likely to, to stay in that until the end of the season. I think he'd suit us because, I mean, he's been playing with three centre-backs with our 
vast array of centre backs, it's either important to get someone that's going to come in and use them or be able to to move them on because we can't go into next season with the number of centre backs that we've got at the minute if we're going to play a back four. He's also had the the most aggressive press this season at Luton, going by the PPDA figures, the passes per defensive action. So basically how aggressive and high the press is. They've had the, the most aggressive press and they also attempted the most long passes and compete in lots of aerial duels. So it's, I mean, in many ways, it's kind of similar style to, to what Ishmael was trying to bring in. So then maybe that kind of consistency there that Ishmael was recruiting for that sort of squad, although he only had one summer window at it, he still brought in a couple of players that probably suited that style. So our squad may be heading in the direction of a squad that, that Nathan Jones would like. Obviously, then there's the issues of, of fans not enjoying that style. And if it was very similar to Ishmael, then if results weren't coming, then you could see fans getting on his back very quickly, as they did with, with Ishmael. And obviously, that didn't end well once the fans got on, on the manager's back. I think he's an interesting shout. He didn't he, he didn't make my list for a few reasons, largely, largely because of what happened at Stoke. That, I'll be honest, largely because of what what happened at Stoke, and I heard from a few people at Stoke as well that Jones's methods didn't rub well with some of the bigger names or possibly even bigger egos within within the Stoke City squad. And if that's a problem there, I would worry that that would be a problem at us because, as I say, as much as we'd like to clear the decks this summer, I don't think that's going to be entirely possible my only other concern with Jones would be how much of Luton's success during his time there has been built on the home form and how the people don't clubs don't like to come to Kenilworth Road it is a tight ground it is a strong atmosphere and at the moment, we might get that atmosphere back but at the moment we haven't got it we haven't the Hawthorns is not a fortress. It's not a cauldron of noise, not in any positive sense anyway. And it's certainly not comparable to what, to the weapon that Jones has at his disposal in Kenilworth Road. I also think that the tight pitch, as you say, Pete, it's a stylistic thing. I think the tight pitch at Kenilworth Road suits his, suits his style of play. Nonetheless, he has translated that to, to a waveform as the season's gone on, very much started off as Luton's home form and Luton's away form. It was like looking at the results of two different teams. But as the season's gone on, he has been able to translate it to uh, to away form as well. And he has he has got in some good players and he gets some great stuff out of uh, uh, good players. Adabajo from from Walsall's been a phenomenal signing, and he he's he's picked players up like that. Uh, on Yudinma as well from from Wickham, he's picked players up from from lower leagues and done some amazing things with them and uh, and really really got them going. It's just as I say, I probably left him off my list simply because I was a little bit concerned about what had happened at Stoke. And if I'm honest, and I've said this to a few a few Stoke fans, yes, believe it or not, I do have friends who are Stoke fans. They're actually lovely people, some of them. I, I, I've said to Stoke fans, I think we're actually comparable in, in a in a certain degree. That everybody predicts us to do better than than, than we're going to, and uh, and th- looks at our team on paper and thinks we've got this great squad. And actually, it's a mishmash, and we're we're making a bit of a bit of a pig's ear of restructuring. And 
obviously we've we've both hired Pulis as well, which I think is more of a common denominator than people give it credit for. But definitely an interesting one, and another one that I would be I would be fascinated to see what happens. I think. I think probably I'm more pro Robbins than pro Jones, but I but I can certainly see that the CV is there to make the argument for him. I'll move on to my my third, and after giving you the oldest name on my list of five, I'm going to give you the youngest name because I think this guy would be a gamble. Without a shadow of a doubt, he would be a gamble because he's only got one season. He hasn't even finished his first full season managing in the EFL, but everything points to the fact that this is a phenomenal emerging managerial talent and it's Liam Manning at MK Dons. He's only 36 years old, which is incredibly young for a manager, but that's not to say that he is inexperienced. He was a non-league player and then he actually quit playing non-league at 25 to pursue a coaching career. He went through the Manchester City coaching program and was then hired by the City coaching group and went and they moved him out to New York City and had him as their director of coaching and academy director when he was when he was just 34 which tells you everything you need to know about about him he's done a lot of youth coaching a bit similar to Critchley as well um he's worked with both Ipswich and West Ham in terms of that but it's not just it's not just that background i mean you to be honest you don't get picked up by the city group and put through the manchester city coaching program unless you have some real talent he, as I say, he has sort of dedicated his life to coaching and and actually chose that over playing non-league, which I which I found very impressive. And then the results are staggering, really. His two seasons of coaching last season, he was, and I apologise to any Belgian listeners that we might have, but I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this team. But I believe it's Lamel in Belgian. He took them over. They were bottom when he took over they finished third and then he's took on mk dons this uh, this season and bearing in mind russell martin was hired as swansea manager this summer just gone on the back of finishing 13th playing some very nice football with mk dons but finishing 13th with mk dons getting 65 points scoring 64 goals and conceding 62 that was enough to get Russell Martin, the Swansea job at the, in, in the summer. And there's some people I've seen mention Russell Martin for our job. Well, if you're talking up Russell Martin, then let's talk about Liam Manning. Because compared to that, he currently has MK Don's third in League One. He's got 83 points. So, and they've still got three games to play. So he's already got 18 more points than Martin got last season. And there is three games to play. They've scored 71 goals. So if you thought Martin's MK Dons were good to watch a nice free-flowing attacking team, this team is even better than that. And he's tightened them up at the back a little bit as well because they, they've they've conceded 43, which is still quite a few for a team who are third in League One. But nonetheless, it is that was where Martin's team really fell down and probably where his Swansea team had fallen down this season. I just think he is a phenomenal talent. I really do. I think he, when you look at his record, he also finished his playing career out in, in Iceland. And there's a little bit of 
there's a, a Graham Potter type vibe about him in that he seems he seems to have gone and educated himself in different countries as to the, their ways of coaching. He also plays a back five, which, as you say, Pete, is important when you look at the current squad. And he can bring in players on a budget. Um, he improved that MK Don's side over the course of the summer whilst making a net profit of about £600,000. Now, that's very impressive, especially as they lost players like Scott Fraser to Ipswich on a free. And also, it's worth noting that they brought in 18 players in the summer. Only two of them were over 25. So he wants to work with younger players. And I think that's an important direction for us because I think one of, as we've spoke about this on the pod before, one of the things where we've really painted ourselves into a corner is by having far too many players on fairly lengthy contracts who are 28 and upwards and realistically have very little resale value and are getting to an age where their value is dropping. I don't think that that would be his approach. And it's also it's also worth noting that a lot of that quality in terms of the recruitment comes from the sporting director, Liam Sweeting, who has done a, a fantastic job there. And I think when you look at who you're going to bring in, as I said about Neil Critchley, I think it's important to look at who would come with them because we need a football structure. We don't just need a head coach. We don't just need a manager. We need a football structure. So we need other people to come in around them as well. So I think he would be a good appointment. The, look, the only downside would be that the Albion fans would look at this as a 36-year-old coming in from Milton Keynes Dons, and they would and they would understandably worry about that. But he, if you scratch the surface with Manning, he has done way, way more than that. Yeah, he's certainly an exciting young manager, and we do need to be looking towards getting the average age of the squad down, which he might help with. But if he's used to working with young players, then it might be a bit more of a difficult task working with our squad, which is on average the oldest squad in the league I think I think the average age this is taking data from Y Scouts I'm assuming they're taking into consideration basically the minutes played and our average age is the oldest at 28.1 I think so if he's not used to working with the older players then he may struggle with ours obviously that's not for sure the only other thing that I might throw at him is that MK Don's I think they're running a good way so that especially with their managerial appointments so it was probably an easier easier role in some ways to come in after Russell Martin and kind of play a similar style. So the squad's still kind of used to it and it's not a complete overhaul of style and, and squad that's needed to, to implement his style, which may be why the, he's had more success than Martin. It's may have just been kind of a continued success from the um, recruitment before that and the kind of steady implement, uh, the steady changes in style, which is kind of what we've been calling for at Albion with a technical director to implement that. But yeah, overall, a very exciting young coach. And well, yeah, I think I'd be excited if we appointed him. It'd be a nice change to to kind of be at the forefront of a, an exciting career and bring them in whilst they're, they're young rather than having the same old faces that have just been around the, the managerial merry-go-round, like your Bruce and Pulis, Pardew, you know, all of them. Yeah, we've nearly um, got we've nearly got the set, haven't we? I think I think I think if we can I think if we can hire Paul Lambert, we've pretty much got the set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, it'd it definitely be refreshing to have a, a new face. I wouldn't be against it. So finally, with my my final proper choice, 
like I said, I've got one more that I didn't do too much research on, but is a, a half option. So on to my third choice is, is Paul Warren at Rotherham. So I don't, I don't know too much about him, to be honest, but looking at the data mainly is what kind of impressed me. He's been in charge at Rotherham since 2016. That's been his only club that he's managed at. So there may be a risk in that respect that he's not proved that he can kind of chop and change clubs and adapt to different situations. He's just been in a steady job and done fairly well there. He's been up and down from the from League One to the Championship a couple of times. And what really impressed me was just the, the underlying numbers in terms of the chance creation. Their expected goals was this season is currently second, the second highest in League One. And when they're in the Championship, it was the ninth highest in the Championship, which to me was really impressive considering they got relegated that season. To still be able to create that many chances and despite being in the bottom three come the end of the season, it kind of shows that you are playing exciting football, which is what the fans have, have asked for a lot in this season. And the season before that, he was first in expected goals created and that was in League One again. So kind of despite going up and down the bouncing between the two leagues, he's still been consistent in creating a lot of chances and chances conceded. He's been consistent when he's been in League One, he's had the second and third best defensive records with his Rotherham side. Um, the only issue was when they came up to the Championship, it was pretty poor in the Championship, which was obviously kind of the reason that they got relegated because the attack was was decent. Um, it's just the defence wasn't. Again, they're a high-pressing side, which would help with the similarities to, to Ishmael that we started recruiting for that last summer. And it may suit players like DK and Moet that have come in to initially play under Ishmael in that kind of style. And they also they also attempt a high number of crosses, which, again, similar to Ishmael, but would definitely suit us if we're looking to keep Carroll on and have DK, who are both, well, Carroll especially, excellent in the air and would thrive off a, a high number of crosses. Um, DK, good in the air as well. Not quite as good as Andy Carroll, but yeah, you could see it suiting DK, who's, who's been a, a big outlay from the club financially and keeping that similarity in the style would be fairly important in my opinion. But that is also what could be a potential negative of Paul Warren is that the style was pretty unpopular among the fans uh, under Ishmael. So currently see it being any different under a new manager if we, we are playing a similar style. Which is quite literally the only reason I left him off my list because I looked at Paul Warren as well. And I just thought, I just thought the style wouldn't be conducive. But you're right, Pete. He's done a fantastic job at Rotherham. He's a really, really good manager. He seems to get the most out of his players. He seems to build a real, a real unit there. And, and, and there's, they lose players as well, and there's never any drop off, which is which is always impressive to me. I don't really know what the recruitment structure looks like at Rotherham, whether Warren's behind a lot of it or whether there are other people doing it. But nonetheless, literally the only reason that he was left off my off my list was due to the was was due to the fact that I just didn't think his style of play was was conducive or possibly wouldn't. It's conducive to the squad. I just didn't think it would be something that the fans would particularly like. Well, I'll, I'll rattle through my last two and then you can mention the other one that uh, that you kind of got as a half, as you say. And then there's just a couple more names that I want to uh, chuck around because I, I, I've got a, uh, well, I don't think we're going to mention mention either of them. So the first one that uh, that I've got on my on my long list is Daniel Farker. He is without a club at the moment. He was manager of Krosnodar in Russia, but obviously he had to leave his post without um, managing a game because of the invasion into Ukraine. He he left and uh, and has left Russia now. So he is without a job. He is available. 
He's worked in the kind of structure that you'd hope that we will create. And you would like to think if he came in that he would possibly be able to bring some of the Norwich people with him because they've obviously built a fantastic structure. You look at where they recruit from as well. They recruit fairly on the cheap. They recruit from mainland Europe, a lot of players as well. He's brought through young players into that Norwich team. Uh, also, when you look at the likes of Godfrey, Aaron's, Cantwell, people, the people like that. But he picks up gems. They pick up gems as well. Now, I, I realise a lot of this hasn't come from Farker. But again, as I said before, part of the reason that I've picked some of these managers or head coaches, I should say, is because I think they could be able to bring good people with them as well. But he certainly plays football that the fans would like. They averaged 72 goals per season in the championship under him, which is staggering. Now they concede a lot as well, 51 per season on average. That is pretty poor for a team that two out of the three seasons that he was in charge of them in the championship, they got promoted. But you can't argue with results. Okay, first season, bit dodgy, finished 15th. And this is a bit of a notable thing with a number of the managers that that we're looking at. Okay, you've you've got Manning, you've got Critchley, who've been able to get immediate success. But a lot of these managers have a bit of an iffy first season, as Corbran did at, at Huddersfield. But and I think the Albion fans might have to accept that that is a possibility and something we might have to build on. Because after he finished 15th, first and first in, in the other two seasons he's had in the championship. So I think he could bring a lot. He would bring good football. He's averaged 1.82 points per game in, in the championship, which is fantastic. He's without a job. He's worked in the kind of structure that, that you'd want. And I'd like to think he'd be able to bring some other, other good people with him. And the last one, and this is not going to be any shock to you, Pete, that he's in here, um, is Michael Appleton. And I realise straight away there's going to be a lot of people who will say, well, you're completely biased because you've worked with him, you know him. And yes, okay, I am. But it depends which way you want to look at it. Am I biased or am I talking about somebody from a position of knowledge that I actually have seen on a coaching pitch and have spoken to players about and know how he is thought of. Michael Appleton is an outstanding coach. And I think what we want to build here, I'd like to think, is a head coach structure. And out of all of these, of the knowledge I have of them, Appy is the best coach. And that's what we need. We need somebody who's going to work with players. He plays a good style of football which will go down well with the fans. Yes, he's an ex-West Bromwich Albion player, but that's not why he's on this list. He's on this list because I know he is an excellent coach and I know he is well-respected by players. And also, he has got results where he has gone. You look at his first few jobs. I was I was working at West Brom when, when Appy was looking around for jobs and everybody at the club knew that Appy was desperate to become a manager. And I think because of that desperation to become a manager he took jobs with haste and he took jobs that probably didn't have the right structure for him in fact he said this in interviews since that 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 he made mistakes with with the early jobs he took he went to Portsmouth when they were on a very much a downward spiral actually did an unbelievable job there nearly kept them up but then moved on to Blackburn and Blackpool both of whom were respectively in messes with their respective owners, the Venkies and the Oystons. It did not go well at either of those football clubs. And he almost got branded a bad manager because he took 
jobs he shouldn't have took. He then went into Oxford and did superbly well. Not only got them out of League Two, but had a fantastic FA Cup run, did some great recruitment, bringing in players like Kamar Roof, of course, and then as well, stabilised them in League One the season afterwards. I mean, finished eighth, finished only just outside the playoffs in his first season as manager in in League One, which is absolutely fantastic. Look, I realise his Lincoln side, and by the way, he got Lincoln to a playoff final as well in his first season at uh, at Lincoln. I realise Lincoln are 18th in League One, and that is probably what a lot of people would focus on with Appy. They would they would say he's only getting the job if if it was anyone other than an ex West Bromwich Albion player, 18th in League One, you wouldn't even consider him. That's not entirely true. If it was anyone other than somebody that I knew was a phenomenal coach and somebody who I look a little bit deeper than 18th in League One, then I wouldn't consider them. But actually, you've got to look at the size of club that Lincoln are and that 18th in League One is not a failure for them. It only looks a bit more of a failure because they went to the playoff final last season. But you've got to remember, they went to the playoff final with Brennan Johnson on loan from Forrest, which, by the way, was a loan that he he found Morgan Rogers, okay, he probably knew quite a lot about Morgan Rogers for fairly obvious reasons. But you know, he brought these he brought these players in. I just think in a head coach structure, as long as we got the recruitment side of it right, that Appy would be an excellent coach with the players. And he certainly wouldn't put up with a lot of the antics that have and performances that have gone on this season. Yeah. And I mean I mentioned earlier that I don't like them being linked just because they've got history with Albion but their actual qualities and how they've performed at their previous clubs and yeah I think you can say that they've um Alfredson's not had the best season this year but if you look at last season reaching the playoffs was a, a terrific achievement did fantastically there and yeah you'd like to think he'd, he'd have some knowledge of players that he'd like to see brought in potentially loans which as you mentioned are very important in the championship like last season with Brennan Johnson obviously he showed his connections with Albion bringing in Morgan Rogers and, and Alex Palmer. But if he can bring in players of a similar ilk to Brennan Johnson, then I'm sure we'd be happy because, I mean, he's a top, top player. And well, I don't think he'll be playing in the championship next season, regardless of where Forrest finish. And Daniel Fark is, yeah, and probably what I'd say, a solid appointment. He's proved that he can get out of the championship and he's he's done that recently with Norwich, obviously, and mul- on multiple occasions, playing nice football, scoring lots of goals and on a, yeah, a pretty small bullet. A pretty small budget, relatively. So, personally, I'd say Fark's a better option than than Appleton. But yeah, I don't have any issues with any of the names you put forward for your shortlist. So, I'd be happy to see any of them interviewed and potentially take over from Bruce come the end of the season. Just two names before we finish that I just want to chuck at you that we haven't mentioned, but probably we should. One because he's been talked about an awful lot, and one because he might get talked about an awful lot. But Sean Dyche is notable by his absence from both of our lists. Now, I think I kind of covered at the top why he's not on my list. He was the unnamed manager who I spoke about that I said, I would, if we hire Sean Dyche, I will be really, really happy. Let me put that out there right now. I The reason I haven't put him on my list is because he because he's a manager. He's not a head coach. And I think if if you bring in Sean Dyche, he's going to want to do a lot of the recruitment and all that sort of thing. And that's what that's not what Gourlay said that he's he's going to want he's going to want to do that he doesn't want to bring somebody in to have 
control for five, six, seven years over the football club like Dyche has had over Burnley. However, if we were to hire him, he is undoubtedly outstanding at what he does. And I would certainly be delighted. But that's the reason he was left off off my shortlist. And the only other one that I wanted to mention, Pete, and just you to give your thoughts on on these two as to why they weren't near your shortlist. Um, the other one is, of course, Roy Hodgson, were he to leave Watford. I do think that Roy, if we were to look for that bridging appointment, that appointment that has the job for 12 months whilst we build this football structure, I would much rather have Roy than Steve Bruce. I agree with you, Roy, there, that probably be a steady bridging appointment, and maybe in a similar similar way to, to Mowbray, that they'd both be steady appointments. You know, they've been they've been managing for a long time and, and have had levels of success in that, and I think they'd be reliable and probably more so than Bruce. And with Sean Dyche, to me, it's just completely unrealistic. I'm not sure he'd want to get straight into a job anyway, and if he did, then I think he would have offers from much better clubs. I think he could easily get a job in the Premier League and a job that's probably more attractive to him than what the Burnley job was anyway. I think he did a terrific job at Burnley and on one of the smallest budgets in the league, kept them up year after year and, yeah, just generally overperformed. So I think he'd do a good job at the Albion. I don't think we play attractive football, but I think he'd do a good job. So, I mean, that kind of depends on where you stand with that one. Personally, I don't mind... If we're winning games and we get promoted, then I'm not too bothered whether we're playing like Prime Barcelona or Tony Pulis's Stoke City. I don't so, think you're in any danger of Prime Barcelona, Pete. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, either way, if we're getting results, then it doesn't really matter to me. But I think it can matter to, to fans. But yeah, I, I, to be honest, I just think it's unrealistic that drop down to the championship to come and manager Albion. Yep, I entirely agree with you. I I no, I don't think he'd touch the job with a 60 foot pole, which is the other reason that he wasn't he wasn't on, on my list. As I say, if he if he came, I'd be really, really happy and I, I would I would celebrate it. Although I do think there would be a certain degree of irony in it that um that that there was some people saying that it doesn't matter whether we're winning games, I'm not happy with with negative football on uh, under Ishmael. I didn't think it was negative football under Ishmael, but Dyche certainly would not be aesthetically pleasing, which again is another reason that with all the names on my list that I, I tried to go for those that I think the fans would enjoy the style of football. But look, those are our thoughts. If you want to drop any thoughts into, into the comments or tweet us um, at Albion Analysis with what you thought of our picks for managers, if you've got different ones, if you think we're talking absolute rubbish, you're more than welcome to tell us. Feel free to either comment underneath the pod or to catch us on Twitter and give us give us your thoughts. We're more than happy to have a, have a discussion about it and, and tell you what we're thinking. But that's all we've time for today. We will be back next week when we're going to start analysing the current playing personnel, beginning with the attackers. Oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to look at each individual season and assess whether or not we think they should stay. We're going to do that in the context of how realistic that is, i.e. how long they've got left on their contract, whether we think we'd be able to find a buyer for them at a price that we would be prepared to sell. It's not just going to be like, he's been rubbish, so get rid, you know. Ken Zahor is a case in point of one that would be particularly difficult to get out the door, but we'll save that for next week. As I say, if there's anything you want us to cover or anything you want to talk to us about that we've spoke about on the pod, contact us at Albion Analysis on Twitter. But until next time, thanks for listening. 
and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.